Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Mark Palimaropoulos, and this is DSR's Above Average Intelligence show. Note, everyone, the new name. Very catchy. Uh, today, I'm very happy to welcome as my guest, John Seifer. Um, good friend of mine, a frequent guest on, uh, has been on before, certainly on the DSR network. Uh, John right now is co-founder of Spycraft Entertainment, a production firm providing content to the entertainment industry. He's also a foreign policy and intelligence expert, certainly on uh, uh, TV, uh, maybe more than even I am, or you were in the past. Not these days. Um, yeah. Uh, John retired in 2014 after a 28-year career in the CIA's National Clandestine Service. Um, he served as multiple overseas tours as chief of station, deputy chief of station in Europe, Asia, and other high-threat environments. Um, <laughs> John is also the recipient of the Distinguished Career Intelligence Medal. Uh, and most importantly for him, and I know he feels this very deeply, he was uh, one of my instructors down the farm. So <laughs> I always say that John birthed me which is a, a kind of disturbing uh, visual. But anyway, John, thank you so much for coming on today. And I will note that my co-host, David Rothkoff, is not here. So we absolutely have no adult supervision. We've been planning this kind of takeover for some time. So well, that's good. the next 40 minutes is going to be uh, uh, unique. Do we want to go after him directly or just sort of obliquely? No, no, no. Obliquely, obliquely is better. But uh, but no, seriously, thank you uh, so much for, for coming on. You know, uh, you are obviously an expert on, on Russia. Um, certainly on the agency uh, and the National Clandestine Service, um, and we'll t we can talk. You know, something kind of Russia, Ukraine, but but you know, for for a while, we've wanted to have you come on and talk about some of the things you're doing um, in your career now. Which, of course, is uh, you are Mr. Hollywood, um, <laughs> and what you're doing uh, in terms of the uh, uh, the kind of the world out at, at LA. And so we'll we'll jump into that um, in just a second. And along that, along with that, we're going to have kind of a I think a, a dueling top five spy movies um, later on in the podcast and maybe some right. spy shows as well. Uh, but, but the first thing I kind of want to uh, jump into um, is a column that I wrote today 
because by the way, this podcast is about me and not the guests. <laughs> yes. you know. But a, a column we wrote today, I wrote today in the Cypher Brief about a, a divide between Generation Z and the old guard. And, and one of the things I was getting annoyed kind of hearing some of our friends who had retired talking about how kind of how lazy, how bad, how, how terrible and unmotivated Generation Z was. And I started getting annoyed um, because that is really the next generation. We got to get this right. But, you know, so but but at the same time, perhaps they had some things uh, that were not um, uh, incorrect in the sense of, of work ethic or maybe, you know, wanting more than certainly the the agency where we grew up. But but also it's the notion that, you know, we really can't pine for the past, pining away for a CIA of the past where, you know, my training class said basically was all white men. Um, so anyway, so so I know I, I, I sent you a, actually a, a copy of my um, column before it ran, um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this in terms of Generation Z and, and kind of this next generation. Um, and we got to make sure we don't sound like a you know a bunch of old men in this. <laughs> well, I have to say you're a courageous and bold man to to wade into these generational issues. You know, I I remember when I retired, I like I said to myself, listen, what I'm, I don't want to do is sort of just bitch about the new generation, how much better it was when I was there, because I can remember being inside and seeing people come out and write articles or books talking about how much better spy stuff they had than, than we do now and looking at the incredible amount of fascinating and important cases we had going, some better than we'd ever had, and some dude who'd retired 15 years before is complaining about how much better it was when, in fact, it wasn't. So I, I try to stay away from that. So good for you for, for jumping in on it. It's going to be, I'd be interested to see what kind of a feedback you get from that. And I think your, your instinct is, is right on this. And each generation brings new and different things, not necessarily better or worse, just different. And it's going to be up to the leadership to figure out how to make the best of that. You know, and, and one of the things that uh, it'll be interesting to see who, you know, the, you take a look on the platform. So this is going to go out obviously on the Cypher Briefs website, but then it goes out on Twitter. It goes out on LinkedIn. And you can kind of see generationally where, you know, how people react um, based on uh, on that. But, you know, one of the things that that I do think is that the agency has to solve this. And this in, this intergenerational conflict um, is not certainly, you know, only uh, in CIA's wheelhouse right now. This, you know, there's tons of, of, of research on this. You see it written about quite a lot. My point on this, and maybe I'm being a little, you know, pompous in a sense, is that agency is kind of indispensable. Like, we got to get this right, you know. And, and you know, one, so, so when you have... Case officers um, uh, who you know, hey, I, maybe I want a, a better work-life balance. Um, I want to be told, okay, why are we doing this operation? Not just go do it. And that's that seems kind of fair. But I also heard from some colleagues that you know, uh, you know, the bullpen, um, uh, you know, had you know, just at one station decided, hey, you know, we're not doing overtime anymore. And you kind of think like, how did that happen? And it's, so it's almost a sense of of. Going back to you know how are we how are we onboarding officers? What about the training uh, cadre? Because at the end of the day, in the National Clandestine Service, you actually work at night. Um, you can't ever get away from that. It's not a nine to five job. So I think there's a middle ground, um, but it's it's going to be interesting to see first of all how you know the kind of the public reaction to this, but also how internally how the agency reacts. Usually, or at times, I'll get a phone call, you know, with a funny number on it, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll answer it, and it's the from the seventh floor, and someone is commenting. Um, positively or negatively, but at least they read it, commenting on something like this. Um, this is not us saying that, you know, attack them for Ukraine. This is more kind of in our little weird, you know, world of uh, of, of kind of intel geekdom um, that sometimes we live in. But let, let me ask you, so if you were, let's say you were on the seventh floor now, you were the, the ADDO, the DDO, 
what would you do? How would you how would you tackle this issue? Well, there's a number of things to think about here. Um, you know, one is, do you have the right leadership in place to deal with the workforce that you have? You know, when I hear that an entire bullpen of people say they're not going to work overtime, I wonder, is that them or is that their leadership in that place? You know, and you and I have seen poor leadership. And there's nothing worse than working for a bad leader. And it's debilitating and demoralizing and, and causes a lot of problems. Uh, another issue that you mentioned is recruiting. You know, on one hand, the CIA is getting a better crop of people than they've ever gotten. The, you know, they're getting hundreds of thousands of people applying for jobs. And therefore, it would be easy to just say, let's take the just the top of the cream of the crop, Harvard to lawyer top people. But is that exactly the is that the, the what you really want? Like there, there's different things you want street smart people. You want people that are resilient. You want people that like foreign cultures like so. It, you got to look at your recruiting and really understand what kind of person you're looking for. And maybe they are, maybe they're just bringing in everybody. But one thing I always took pride on in my time there was that the CIA had the highest retention rate of any government agency, any. And people stayed because the work was important. They had good leadership. They liked what they were doing and they felt like they made a difference. And so um, it's, I, you know, you hear stories now that people tend to work for a couple of years and leave. And that wasn't our experience. And I, um, maybe that's a generational thing to a certain extent, but you also want to have a to set your, yourself up so that you know people like working there and want to stay. One yeah, of the it was, things it was, that, a, it was a Roach Motel. Once we got in, you you never get out. <laughs> Applied to both of us, in fact. There's also the one of the things I know you did, Mark. Like if you have people that are working under, if you work in a large place overseas, you know you 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 got to focus on leadership and, and making people understand why they're doing things and and. But one of the things also, too, is this, this business of maybe they're not working hard enough, you know, rather than, uh, you know, beat someone around the head and neck telling them to work harder. What you focus on is results. You say yeah. uh, you will be graded on your results as a as a case officer or as an analyst or whatever it is. And, you know, if, you know, and, and rather than me focus on the inputs, I'm going to focus on the outputs. And if you're not at the end of the p- reporting period doing enough, it's going to be clear in your review. Um, and so whether you worked overtime or not, if you got the job done, I'll, I'll, that's okay. If you didn't get the job done and didn't work overtime, then maybe you ought to look at your inputs and figure that out yourself. With your no, mind. I think you're right. It's a matter of expectations. You know, it's, it's, a, it's pretty clear. It's also being accessible. I mean, I, again, this is not to toot your horn. You know, you, you and I are friends, but as I remember when you were an instructor, you were accessible. Um, and you didn't have kind of this militaristic kind of attitude, just go do this. You know, if we asked you, hey, why are we doing this? Um, uh, you might, you might tell us, but, you know, I think, it, it, you know, at, at the end of the day, we got to get this right because what you said was, um, seems to me to be true that, that, uh, there is a retention issue. Now, when you talk to, you know, senior agency folks, they, they claim there's not, but I always kind of question that. Um, and then, and I do recall, uh, when, uh, speaking, I can't remember uh, who it was, but there was some study about, you know, why officers were leaving at the, at the, you know, before, so if you get, if you get hooks into someone at the 10 year mark, they're staying, but why were officers leaving at the five year mark and the direct, director of operations that would mean after their training, after their first tour. And the number one reason, uh, was bad leadership. Um, so in some sense, that's, uh, uh you know, that's, uh, that's correct too. And so I, 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 my, I wrote this piece to kind of, um, kind of spur some conversation. And I really think it's a middle ground before too. But if we sit here and say like, you know, it, it was, the, I, I used the quote, which of course will annoy a lot of people. I said, you know, the idea of pining for a, a time in the past or to 
where we have to quote make CIA great again. You obviously get my kind of silly uh, 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 slogan there, but I, that doesn't make any sense because the the agency of the past did some great things, but there were also some significant uh, issues, and so I think we have to really look forward. No, agreed. I mean, and it's built today. If you work in a place, say you're in Moldova, in this small place trying to do spy operations, if you have a crappy manager or boss, I mean, that's two, three years of your life. It's just, you know, why do you want to stay with the organization? Especially if you do that and then you go somewhere else and you have a crappy boss. It's like, okay, that's it. I get right. I get it that the bigger leadership doesn't focus on leaders in the field. And therefore, you know, my input is not because you get because you get good, incredibly smart people coming in that want to do something. And if, if they're stifled from doing that, then they, they leave. So, so there's, there's a lot of issues here and they're not necessarily only at the, at the CIA. It's going to be people going to have to figure out how to deal with this generation, but also to deal with the challenges we have. And, and two, two quick points and we'll kind of switch over to our, to, to, to John goes Hollywood. <laughs> um, but uh, two points on that one is that, you know, I do know the current leadership in the, in the director of operations. I think they're, they're well suited to tackle this. They, they will understand the challenges. I obviously didn't speak to them on this issue. I don't want to kind of reach back into the place, but the, the, just that going back to something you said before, you know, in that, in that uh, case where, you know, officers weren't going out in the streets um, at night, I would say the leadership probably didn't come from that station. It was almost from their previous post. So how did they even get to the place where they thought this was okay? So anyway, you know, if you have a, a kind of mini revolt and insurrection, they, they learned that that was okay from someone else. So, um, all right, let's, let's uh, kind of switch topics uh, just a bit. Uh, again, you had a very distinguished career, but instead of kind of turning into kind of a bum like me who hangs out at the Vienna Inn every day, although we do meet there occasionally, um, you did something really unique. And I think you, what I admire about you is you stepped out of your comfort zone um, and jumped into the world of, of Hollywood. Um, and you know you and and uh, some other other good friends of ours, you created a production company. So tell us about um, what you're doing in Hollywood, uh, the company, and and really kind of what was your motivation behind that? Why'd you do it? And of course, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm finding it. It's really interesting. It's it's completely different, but it's enjoyable. But it ties into our old work because what we're trying to do, Spycraft Entertainment, it's called, is. Um, bring espionage stories into Hollywood and try to provide some more authenticity to, to the kind of stuff that they produce. And it is a slow and difficult process. Um, but one of the things we wanted to do is Hollywood often reaches out to the national security space, military or, or intelligence, when they have a finished product. They put together a movie and then they reach out to someone like you or me and say, hey, can you come in you know, for a week and tell us how you, you know, what kind of boots you wear and how you hold your gun. And, you know, you know of course, I was I, I did this on, on, you know, uh, uh, with Denzel Washington. So that's my claim to fame. But anyway, there you uh, go. I, I will digress. Go ahead. And so, and so, you know, that's, that's all well and good. But what we wanted to do is, is get into the content side. We wanted to, from the beginning, either bring our own stories, bring untold stories or stories that are in books and magazines that people haven't brought to the screen and then work with writers and producers and directors and things and actors from the bottom up in the slow process of putting the whole thing together so that we're producers, we're a production company rather than just consultants. And sort of in the hierarchy of Hollywood, there's studios, directors, talent, producers, you know, and consultants are sort of the last thing. And you have, you might be able to tell them that, you know, no, you need to wear this color thing or that color thing, but you, you don't really have much input on onto the the content. So we wanted to be in the, in that space. 
So what are you working on now? Can you, uh, first of all, are you allowed to tell us kind of the projects you're working on? I don't, it's a good question. I mean, allowed. Yeah, we have a lot of projects um, going. And, and at this point, it's mostly sort of our own stories. So what we tend to do is you write what's called a treatment and is sort of a outline of you think a story or a real story or, you know, something that you live through, but then you, you sort of fudge the facts so that it's not, it's not classified. We then put that story, that treatment to the agency to make sure there's nothing classified and at the review publications review board. And then we go and interview writers and other production companies to see if that they're interested in that story or they want to take it as a jumping off place to, to sort of build a world around, around that. And so we have a, a variety of, we have uh, a story about 1960s Philippines, Marcos era with Amazon and actress Lily Reinhardt. We have a Netflix story about um, I, the time when ISIS was, took over Mosul and Mosul Dam in, in Iraq. Uh, Jerry O'Shea is my partner. He was the chief of station in Iraq at the time. We even brought, we even brought the writer into headquarters to meet people who were involved in, in this story. Um, and we were also working with that same writer on another one related to the, the Russian embassy here in Washington. And when Hansen was arrested, it turns out that the FBI and others had built a tunnel under the Russian embassy to try to, to break in. And we have, we have, uh, Another sort of Philippine-related hostage story. We have a story based on sort of Nazi era in Hawaii. We, you know, a whole variety of different things. We have ones Latin, Latin-based stories with, you know, the first sort of Latina woman who was made chief of station for the CIA and, and some other background. Um, wide variety of things. My, but my interest, just I don't, I won't continue to go too long here, is is we're sort of bringing our own stories and sort of trying to bring them up slowly. But Hollywood, you know, it's, it's tough. It's slow. If they don't know you or if you haven't had success yet, they're, 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 they're careful. It's a risk averse business. You know, it's better to make, you know, Avengers six than to make something new because they don't know if they're going to make money or lose money off of it. But my, my goal is, is hopefully if we start to have success, then it's easier to bring in all of those stories that we know from the past. These books that are that no one's done things on old stories, incredible cases that Hollywood has just ignored. And if we bring them up now, you know we don't have enough clout to get them made. But once we have some success and get things going, then people come to us, and then then we have a world of opportunity, either from friends like you that have stories, or or ones that have already been published but long forgotten. Yeah, you know, I, I think that you make a good point. I think about some, you know, some books on, uh, on espionage that I've loved. You know, you know, David, I've, I've talked to you about this before, David Ignatius's book, Agents of Innocence, which I think is one of the best books about um, what it's like to be a case officer in the Middle East. You know, how is that not a movie? And so I guess just, you know, you know, talking about, you know, real life stories, it's a little bit, bit harder. What's your, if you think about, and then, then of course, you see films that are successful, and I'm sure that drives you nuts for a lot of us. It's the same thing, whether it's, just, you know, fanciful, far-fetched. I mean, I think, you know, I'm watching Slow Horses now, which is getting huge reviews. But in Slow Horses, MI5 is killing their own people. And so, you know, and so again, it's the kind of thing where I just kind of scratch my head and there's that, and I guess maybe we as formers have to get out of that um, notion that everything has to be real. But what's your biggest pet peeve in a movie? Um, or or in, in any, in, in or movie or, or kind of uh, well, shows that, they, that it, Hollywood gets wrong? It's tough. And we see it all the time because we have 
people who come to us now, writers, and say, I have this idea. Will you work with me? And the idea is so far-fetched because essentially they're just writing stories off of other Hollywood stories. They don't really understand our business. And sometimes when people you know, work with Hollywood and try to do our business, they end up coming out boring. So you got to find that you know, you know, there's sort of tradecraft porn, and it's only interesting to a small group of people. Right. You got to find that sort of sweet spot where there's actually an arc, a character story that you can relate to, but also has espionage. And so, I often look to shows like The Sopranos, for example. The Sopranos, it's about a family, but the family happens to be in the mafia, right? And that, so that's what you're looking for. You're looking for really interesting right. characters in it. And so, I think that's what we're trying to, to build here—not just a spy story because we like tradecraft and, and spies. So one of the things I think is frustrating with Hollywood, or it's become this way, is they've put spy stories automatically into the action films area. And so they provide this sugar high of car chases and shoot 'em ups and all that type of stuff. Whereas espionage, as you know, I mean, I think it's much more about human relationships, right? It's about the human factor. Real espionage is about relationships in, in high pressure high stakes situations. It explores flawed individuals and issues of trust and betrayal and ego and manipulation and secrecy and cowardice and bravery. So, you know, some of those old stories like the Lacare stories about, you know, people in very secret and difficult situations, but exploring the relationships rather than necessarily the. No, I think you're right. Well, first of all, um, uh, you used a term there, tradecraft porn, which I think <laughs> I'm going to have to have to keep and somehow uh, kind of weave this in. Um, that's because uh, uh, I think you're right because you know we we focus us formers focus so much on that, but I'm not sure the general public cares as much. But uh, maybe that's our own, that's our niche. Well, site. a good story would be, and and we we don't want to go down this road too far because you and I have sort of talked about this. Is you know take your story, you know a successful. CIA veteran who worked around the world uh, found themselves a victim of, you know, sort of unknown, perhaps attack from a foreign intelligence service, or it's not even clear how is the agency responding to it? How do they take care of their people? How does how does that individual move forward? I mean, I think you know we don't want to necessarily take you know just our own stories and, and promote ourselves, but. That's the kind of thing you could build into, I think, a, a really interesting story and explore some things around the edges where even while focusing on character is the main point. Okay, so now I have to ask the question. Who's going to play me in the movie? Sorry about that. What actor? I know what you're going to say. I'm going to be pissed off. Who's the actor? <laughs> oh, what actor? Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. What, what's Who's the guy in Superbad? <laughs> I think one time you said Danny DeVito and I got really pissed. <laughs> He's really good, though. I like that again. Yeah. No, you know, you mentioned something before. It's it's because I think that you know people always ask you know what was your greatest skill? Like, you know, were you proficient on a weapon? I'm like, no, it's amazing. I didn't shoot myself when I carried a gun around. I was probably I could type really well. I mean, that's you know, that's and even in kind of conflict zones, you know, I I I had some success and I enjoyed times in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. But you know, you got to write up your meeting. You're typing a lot. You might be typing sitting in a dirty mud hut somewhere. Uh, in Afghanistan, but you got a laptop and you're typing. And the other piece, I think maybe, which which has a, you know, it doesn't necessarily, necessarily translate into great cinema is that I think you're right. You know, our old job was not 
in action films. I mean, certainly in times of my career, there was there were times of incredible action and terror, but that was really few and far between. It's more of, you know, a psychology 501 class. Um, you know, that was that was the kind of the essence of the of the career, especially when we're kind of dealing with, you know, the spotting, assessing, developing, recruiting and handling of agents. So I think you uh, I think you got that right. Um, it's at this point in the show in the podcast where we have to say goodbye to our guests who are not yet subscribers. Uh, if you want to listen to the rest of this podcast and all of our other shows, shows in full, just go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's only $5 a month. I think that still holds um, for the time being. And it brings you a lot of great bonus content. So if you're not a subscriber, we hope you will be soon. And if you are one, stand by. We'll be right back. <laughs>